Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And welcome to episode 17 of Rule the Roost podcast, beaming to you live from, well, my smelly bedroom and Raj's garage. Hello, Raj. How is life in the in the garage? Um, I've actually moved upstairs now. I'm back in back in my bedroom. Oh, um, lady got, of leisure. Yeah, it got too cold in the garage to to be down there. The weather has well and truly turned in Yorkshire. It's actually currently snowing. So uh, it's um, gr- it's, it's grim up. It's hat and glove time. It's, it's not grim at all. It's quite picturesque. Yeah. But it's it's just yeah, it's fucking freezing. So, international break. It's been it's been good fun, hasn't it, as ever. The game that was billed as not Zlatan against Ronaldo ended up being <laughs> Zlatan against Ronaldo, as everyone expected. Although Matinho had a good game for Portugal, must be said. Um Yeah, it's quite nice to see him actually. Um he's been fairly uh fairly average for Monaco thus far. But um, yeah, he played really well. Yeah, fuck him, he should have joined Spurs, a little prick. Um, <laughs> I don't actually think that was his fault, you know. Yeah, it was definitely his that, fault. It's definitely no, it was, it was It was the club's fault. for They pretty much stalled on that one at the last minute. I think we, we pulled every trick in the book we could to try and get an extension and everything, but I, I think they pretty much dragged their feet as much as they could. So, given that no one really cares about international football, we'll just skim through this fairly quickly. Um... Andrus Townsend, Carl Walker, both played. I think Townsend had a good game, but again, had no end, <laughs> no end product whatsoever. Um, and England lost, so can't have been yeah, that Andrus good. Andrus Townsend ran a lot. Yeah, Andrus he had a couple Townsend of good runs. Run. He hit the post. That was pretty decent. He can run down the flank all he wants. Yeah, it wasn't a good performance. Anyway, fuck it, we don't care. Um, Hugo Lloris, congratulations, Hugo. You turned it around. I didn't think they would, but they did. Um, yeah. I, there's a little part of me that would have liked to have seen Le Bleu not in the World Cup, but really it's the World Cup. You want the best teams there. and I wouldn't... Selfish reason I wouldn't want them there is just so he wouldn't get as much exposure as he's going to do now because he's he's that good that there's there's a couple of teams in Europe that are going to be needing a new goalkeeper soon. Well, it's uh, slightly worrying. I, I, to be honest with you, mate, I'm pretty resigned to the fact I think we're going to lose him this summer. I hate to be pessimistic, but I, you know, Barca... We got Man City, who we're going to be talking to in a in a, in a bit. Not Manchester City. Madrid need a new keeper as well. A representative of yeah, Madrid do. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's uh, plenty of people, and then there's always Monaco and PSG who who can come and buy him if they ever if they ever wish. Of course. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I don't hold hope. And another one who I'm not feeling that hopeful that we're going to hold on to over the summer as well is Jan Vertonghen, who has once again, despite a few days previously saying he doesn't have any problem playing left-back, now again has a problem with playing left-back. Um, I haven't actually seen 
a recorded interview of his comments. So I don't know how far they've been taken out of context. But once I think again, that may have been compounded by the fact that he's been forced to play left back for international uh, as well. He's been playing left back for Belgium as well, which if it's something he doesn't enjoy doing, having to do it for both club and country will will piss him off somewhat. I, I I understand that it's not something he wants to do, and I understand that comments can be taken out of context. But for me, I do think there's a dangerous element of favouritism when Jermaine Defoe speaks out um, to the press about being you know not played enough and yeah, criticising the manager's decision for that. And someone who's very much a favourite in Jan Vertonghen doing the same thing and people giving him a pass. For me, it's something he should keep out of the press. It's not something that he should say, regardless of context. It's just a question that should be skimmed over. I don't know if you agree or not, but that's... I do to an extent, but um, it's obviously uh, much more jarring when it's somebody as shit as Jermaine Defoe complaining. <laughs> Come on. Let's, let's not get onto that one. I'm not going to call Defoe shit. I'm not going to stand for that. So I just I'm going to move on. I'm move just on. have. I just have. going to move on. Um... Now, the horrible news. Well, Golfy Sigurdsson, sorry, mate. Yeah, you weren't going to get there really, were you, anyway? but Neither is Kirikesh. No, but good. Um, Christian Eriksen, <laughs> that's not good. No. That's not nice um... at all. I mean, the initial prognosis for the Twitter physios told us, he's out for a year, he's out for six months. Seems to be more realistically, it's four to six weeks. Yeah. Um, ankle sprain. It looked very painful. He seemed to be in absolute agony as he was taken off the pitch. So I think rightly the alarm bells were sounding. Um, you had a few unpleasant people seemingly celebrating the fact that he might not be available for selection, but probably the less we talk about them, the better. Um, it's whatever way you look at it, it's not good, is it? I mean, a player who has had a, has had a troubled beginning at the club despite you know, his first game against Norwich looking absolutely phenomenal. Since then, looking a bit patchy, he needs to be playing. And to have a setback at this juncture is is appalling, isn't it, surely? Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the flip side of that is that it could give him time now to, to kind of uh, get fitter and come back stronger. Obviously, the rehabilitation process is something where a player can work on their fitness a lot more. So if he's, he's given that time to, to almost settle into life in, in London at the club a bit more, he, he may well come back stronger from it if, if we're trying to put a positive spin on it. But it's by no means a, a good thing for us whatsoever that he's, he's going to be injured. Yes, I mean, Spurs prognosis, so you've always got to worry, haven't you? They say four to six weeks, but you have a player like Danny Rose who was seemingly out for a couple of games that has just completely slipped off the radar and we haven't been kept in any contact from the club whatsoever. But I believe you were mentioning something came to light fairly recently about what it is that he's facing at the moment. Yeah, he's got some sort of like turf toe or something. I think they might call it in America. I think it's quite prominent in... in it sounds like, like a um, horrendous like World War One type affliction, doesn't it? Yeah, turf like trench foot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something that American footballers get quite often, I'm told, um, where like their toe will bend in a wrong manner, um, and it's something that can become quite reoccurring if it doesn't um, mend properly. So whenever like he bends his, his toe or bangs it or whatever, it'll um, it'll do himself a mischief. But um, like it's not good when you know your feet are going to be the thing that is going to be getting hit the most. So it's um, 
It's not too good for us, no. Yeah, it doesn't even look like um, we can recall Benny in January either. It seems as though we don't have the option to do that. Um, so chances are we're probably going to have to try and invest in January, but we covered that last week. So if you want to hear more of our thoughts about that, then listen to last week's episode, yeah? Um, that was me. I mean, these injuries aren't great as well, just looking at what we've got coming up. I mean, after the City game on Sunday... Um, that'll that'll kick off a, a run of twelve fixtures in thirty eight days. Which, given that normally in a month you'll play four or five games tops, in a month period essentially we're playing twice that. Um, yeah, yeah, we've got that's that's um, it's not a good look. I mean, December there's there's a whole heap of games as there always is around Christmas, and then starting with City away and then ending on the first of January with Man United away. It's it's um it's not a good period for us to be missing players. And this is it. Well, we are starting on City away. Um and that brings us nicely to our main feature. So this week we're joined by Rob from typicalcity.org. Hello Rob, thanks for joining us. Hi, no problem. Uh, nice it's good. I, I think uh, as I was saying at the uh, just before we started started recording, um my my attention was initially drawn to you as I'd seen you being particularly vociferous about a, a former captain of ours in in a Mr. Ledley King. What's what's your what's your your love there for a seemingly non-city well, player? What, Do you what, just like football, perhaps? Yeah, just like I mean, what's not to like about Ledley King? You know, I mean, he was just an amazing player, and he always seemed like a really nice man as well, which um, I liked. But yeah, it was just for me. From where I'm standing, he's the best English defender I've seen in terms of raw ability. Obviously, Rio Ferdinand is going to go down as far better because he's played a lot more games, he's played for England a lot more times and he's won a lot more trophies and whatnot. But if you just take it on raw attributes and raw ability, I think he is the best I've seen. And the fact that he didn't get to prove that because of injury it just it, it really upsets me and um yeah i just think i've not seen a, a a defender certainly an english defender anyway who had everything pace power strength reading of the game he just had everything you know and uh the fact that he could kind of not train all week and turn up that just uh, turn up on match day and be the be the best player on the pitch by a mile was just another reason to just be in awe of him, really. And oh, uh, stop it, Rob! You make you're making me want to cry, mate. And I, I miss yeah. him so much. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. And I remember the day when the news filtered through that he was gone. It was kind of like I missed him straight away. You know, just I remember thinking watching Spurs without Ledley King was going to be really odd, and it was. You know, I'm, I mean, obviously, time things move on quite quickly, don't they? And I'm kind of used to used to it now but yeah it was he was very very odd at first and uh i just liked him just liked him a lot he's a great player do, do, you say the best english centre-half but surely you know your your best mate micka richards might have a stake in that now i, I saw your your little thing earlier that he, he started following you on twitter hasn't he? he he has followed me today and he sent me a few a few messages as well which was really nice because i've wrote i wrote an article about him and i, I mean Basically, the situation with Micah Richards is the year we won the title, he was outstanding. I mean, he was, even with Silver Aguero, all those, that, you know, 
all those great players that we've got. He was in the top five of our players that year. I don't think there's any question about that. He was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he kind of lost his place for the final few weeks because he got a little bit of a knock and Sabaleta took his place. But other than that, he was he was definitely, you know, he was absolutely outstanding. And then obviously last year, he pretty much missed the whole year. I think he played about seven games. Uh, and then this year, he's had niggling injuries as well. So he's actually played 13 games in the last 18 months. Uh, and he's fit again now. And we're trying to reintroduce him into the side. And his form is very, very poor. Um, and there's been a bit of a knee-jerk reaction from some of the fans if say, you know, maybe it's time to cash in. I mean, Arsenal are always linked with Micah Richards, and they have been again. So I think a lot of the City fans are looking at it and think, well, if they came in with a £15 million offer or whatever, maybe it's time to take it. So I wrote an article just basically saying, no, you know, let's not do that. If anybody in our squad has got reason to be playing badly at the moment, I think it's him, because he's hardly played. He's had a horrendous time. I mean, he's been at our club for 11 years, you know, and we I, we all love him. And I just think that we need to give him time to find his form again. So I just wrote an article with words to that effect and uh, he's found it and followed me and sent me a few messages today, which was really nice, really surprising and really nice. Because well, I read your article and it, it, the, the part that particularly resonated with me was when you were saying, when he first burst onto the scene, he was seen as one of Europe's brightest defenders, not even yeah. just in the Premiership. He was heralded across Europe for being this, wow, you know, this kid's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, and as you rightly say in that in that title season, he was fantastic for you. And to be fair, he's behind Pablo Zabaleta, who is head and shoulders the best right back in the Premiership. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. But the thing is, when Micah Richards is in full flight, he can give Zabaleta a run for his money. And I know that for a fact because I've seen it. Um, and I just want him to get back to that. He's had a weird career, Richards, because he, like like you just said, what I said in the piece, he burst onto the scene and people went a little bit far. You know, he was, he was like, oh my God, he's going to be the best in Europe, blah, blah, blah. And it, at first he was absolutely incredible. You know, for a lad of his age, he was so strong, quick. He could jump like a basketball player. He was incredible. And then under Mark Hughes, his form just plummeted. Um, but he wasn't the only one, you know, uh, there was a lot. I was say, he, he surely gets a pass for that one. He definitely gets a pass for that. I mean, he wasn't the only one and he certainly wasn't the only defender in our squad, but his form plummeted. And then when Mancini came, we just saw this rise of Micah Richards again. And he suddenly, you know, was just, he was playing out of his skin and it was for a full season. He, and he was massive in terms of our title win. And um, yeah, then he's had all the injuries. So I just think that, I just don't want to see the City fans kind of writing him off. I think we need to get behind the lad because he's a great man and he can be a great player and he's not had a very easy ride of it of uh, you know in the in recent times. I mean not so much with the injury side of things but definitely with uh, the malign sentiment from the fans. We've got a similar situation with Carl Walker at Spurs yeah. whereby there'll be there's just an untold amount of fans that give him hideous amounts of stick because he had that first season with us when he came back from Villa where he looked absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, couldn't do wrong. And then last year when you looked at his kind of his stats, his successful stats, they were pretty much halved from the year before. So, he, you know, he'd had a terrible year last year. Yeah. But it seems despite playing really well this season, 
the fans just want him gone. And it, it is one of those situations where you have to say to people, well, if you want to get rid of Carl Walker, who would you put in then? Who who would you put in at a right back? And yeah, people say, oh, you know, City have got like Zabaleta. And you think, well, yeah, but Zabaleta's <laughs> a freak. You know, he's he's a world-class right back who is probably in the top five in the world in his position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know, Rog, you, you're, you're a big fan of Carl Walker. But how would you rate him alongside someone like Richards? Um, I think they both actually come from a fairly similar background. They're both um, Yorkshire lads. I know Michael Richards was born in Birmingham, but I think he grew up in Leeds, uh, Chapel Town. So he's, he's from a similar sort of area as Aaron Lennon. Um, not the best reputation of an area. Uh, not, the, not the nicest, yeah, essentially not the nicest place to live in Leeds. Um, and they both went through uh, the Leeds Youth Academy at similar points. Although I think Michael Richards was probably released when he was when he was under 10. But he, he did all of his school years and all of his um, Leeds City schools and everything that I played here um, before he went to, to City eventually. But I think um, it's... With those two, especially when you have such a good season and then you follow it up with one that doesn't particularly hit those heights, it's it's a matter of expectation, isn't it, in modern-day football? There's there's no such thing as patience anymore. So to allow a, a young player to, to try and adapt his game and um, consistently try and reach that level, there are going to be peaks and troughs within that time where they're perhaps not playing at the similar level at which they were before. And Kyle Walker... Um, may have struggled a little bit with fatigue purely through the amount of football he was playing at such a young age. And with Michael Richards, because he's been out so long injured, especially a man of his size as well, because I think there was a point um, when he was really good where he perhaps almost too big for his own good, where it almost looked uncomfortable for him to run. He was getting that muscly. Um, but I think it's with them being that young, um, it's just about them kind of finding room feet so they need to be allowed that time, which um, isn't often afforded to them at, at such big clubs. Would you, uh, if you had to choose between the two, Raj, who would you say you, you think's not better, but who, who do you think's better suited to to Spurs? I mean, do you think they're at their their right clubs? Do you think Richards will stay at City? Yeah, I think they're I think they're both at the right clubs. To be honest, um, purely because I think the 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 one advantage that, that Michael Richards have over um, Carl Walker is that he's a much uh, better stand at centre back. I, I don't think Carl Walker would would or could ever play centre back. I'd be awful. He would. You know, he wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Um, whereas Michael Richards is fairly competent. Um, and the thing there is, we've got uh, such a, an embarrassment of riches in that position um, for very good centre backs uh, that we wouldn't ever need that much of a cover there. Um, whereas if we didn't have that many good centre backs, the the temptation to have a right back that could fill in would obviously evolve but I think that they're probably both at the right clubs for them um, although I wouldn't say no to either of them I'm, I'm fairly happy with Carl Walker especially the way he's performing this year well there we go um, I mean you, you touched on Mark Hughes and Roberto Mancini's influence upon the player there um, and that, that ties in very nicely Rob with the fact that you actually let Mancini go and you've brought in a, a new man who to me, almost resembles like a, a stretched Arsene Wenger. Like whenever I see him, he just—I don't know—it almost looks like a Boglin version of Arsene Wenger. But Manuel Pellegrini, you—you've been happy with him thus far? I've, yeah, I've been dead impressed. I mean, the the only obviously the Bayern Munich game was a bit of a nightmare, and the problem there was we were getting battered, and he seemed really reluctant to change. And if there was one thing that was hammered home by the press before he arrived, Pellegrini. 
it was that he was a man who would change things within, you know, during a game, no problem. And the reluctance to do that was a bit disconcerting. And then the only other one was Sunderland, the last game where he picked the wrong team completely. But other than those two games so far, I think he's been uh, he's been pretty much immaculate. And you know, the the away the other away games that we've lost, which we've been hammered for. They've been down to individual errors and not down to the manager. So uh, I've been really impressed with him. Um, so, yeah, yeah, chuffed with him, really. You seem to be scoring an absolute ton of goals. Like, you've got the, the old Sergio Aguero back again, it would seem. Yeah, yeah, uh, we have. He's been which absolutely... is really important for us. Because when he, I mean, his first season, he hit 30 goals, which was obviously for a new player in a new league and everything else that was absolutely outstanding but then last year he, he kind of had a few little niggly injuries and he never fully got up and running uh, I think he still hit about 15, 16 goals in all competitions so it was you know he was still one of our best players but it looks this year like he's going to be you know back to the sort of 30 figure and if you've got a player scoring 30 goals uh, you're laughing really aren't you so yeah well, it's, it's great, and yeah, Pellegrini's playing a really attacking formation, um, and really we press really high up the pitch, and it's really quite intense, uh, and it's been great to watch. Certainly at home, when it's clicked, it's been you know we've, we've put in a few absolutely great performances. So yeah, I've been I've been impressed. So I mean, the thing is, you, you, what I would say, looking at it from from the outside, you know, you've had four defeats already, which for a club of your size probably isn't that, you know, it, it, it's not really the best start to the season. No, bad, it's poor. It's poor. I mean, in in previous seasons, teams who have won the league have lost four games, haven't they? I mean, less sometimes. So, yeah, it doesn't look good. But the, the, the lucky thing or, you know, the fortunate thing for us is that we're still in there. Even though we've lost four, we're, we're only six points I was going to say the lucky thing for you that everyone else is shite really at the moment yeah, exactly. as well. So exactly. it's not been as good a year. I mean, I think the points total it's going to take to win the league this year is going to be lower than before. So we might benefit from that. But you know, for sure, we, we've got to stop losing away. I mean, a couple more, and we're going to be out of it, aren't we? So that's got to improve. I mean, you've highlighted individual errors. In particular, what would you say sticks out for you? I mean, have there been any players? In particular, that you think look particularly benefit yeah. to the system that are you know Joe very Hart. weak. Wow. Joe Hart is just he's cost us. You know, I mean, there's no getting away from it. He's cost us a few times already, and um, you know there was the Chelsea one, obviously, where we 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 were the better side for me in that game, and we were going to come away with a point, which would have been a good point. Uh, and then he kind of rushes out inexplicably. And uh, we lose that game. And then there was the Villa game where there was a bit of a mix-up between him and Nastasic. Um, and then there was the Cardiff game where he came for a couple of balls and didn't get there. So I would say, yeah, I would say, Joe. I mean, I don't like to, you know, you don't want to kind of pick on people or single people out. But it's it's a fact that his form has been very, very Obviously, he's been dropped, and uh, he's he, he cost us he's cost us a few points on the road. Did it, does the the Man City ITK circuit have any have any insight as to why this might be that you might not see in the mainstream press? For example, you know, a few years back when everyone would talk about why 
David Bentley wasn't performing so well. A lot of people used to say it was because he actually wanted to be a rock star and not a footballer. Right. Um, I mean, have you heard anything on the on the grapevine, as it were, as to is he staying up all night playing FIFA like David James used to? Or no, I, I mean, I got a text message from a, a well-known United blogger the other day, so I don't know how much to read into this. But he's heard that he's got a child with somebody outside of his marriage or his girlfriend or something. And that's been causing him problems. But like I said, I mean, that is just, I've heard that off one person and it was pure rumour. So no, I mean, I've not heard anything concrete or anything. I just think that he'd had such a seamless run at first, you see, because he went to Birmingham, was playing out of his skin and then came back to us and for two years. He was untouchable. You know, he, he barely put a foot wrong. His, his distribution was always poor. Other than that, he was fantastic. And I think that the first couple of, uh, aberrations really affected him because he wasn't used to it and since then his head's just gone to pieces and um, you know even in games where he's played quite well there's been moments where he's rushed off his line or just done something really out of character um, so yeah he needs to I think taking him out of the team was definitely the best thing he needed he needed to come away look at you know look at his form and what not from a distance and hopefully he'll come back a better player. And the thing is he will get another chance quite soon because the replacement we've got, Pantillimon, is not you know, he's not a, a long term option at all. I mean if if the club believed in him he would have been in goal a lot earlier because Hart's form's been poor for about eighteen months. So uh, I don't think Joe Hart will be out of the side for as long as people think he will be. That's the that's the problem with being a goalkeeper, really, is that you if you are having that bad patch, it's it's just so much clearer to see for everyone, and you, there's nowhere to hide, really. You know, a player like Michael Richards, as you discussed earlier, can have a, a, a poor run of form, can get dropped for a while, and then uh, very easily make it not easily, but very foreseeably make his way back into the starting lineup. Whereas generally, when a keeper gets dropped, that's it's usually the end for them. I mean, we've certainly seen that at Spurs with Gomez, with Paul Robinson in the past as well. Yeah. Um, it just seems to be the way. I mean, f- for you, Raj, have you... I mean, do you see Hart's kind of form as one of the main reasons, just as an outsider looking at Man City? Would you say Hart's form is one of the major areas of concern for them, or is there anything else that you've sort of noted that you grill Rob about? Um, I think Hearts form married with the fact that the best defender uh, company seems to be in and out of the squad with injuries isn't helpful. Um, obviously, the relationship between the defence and the goalkeeper is something that can't be underplayed. Um, you can see that evidently at Tottenham whenever Hugo Lloris isn't playing and Brad Friedel has to step in. It's just not the same. It's an in- the, the defensive unit isn't just the players who are playing outfield. It's the goalkeeper included in that they'll they'll train together they'll know the way in which each other plays so the fact that he's he's not had uh, his captain there and and the best centre back won't have, have helped his cause too much um i think he he might be a victim of of things that english players often are where their stocks are most risen too high and there's nothing more that that people in england enjoy doing more than um than building people up and then knocking them back down so it's um it's um it, it's a bit strange um the way in which especially with him being England number one as well um I don't know if there's, there's anything particular that he needs to do it's it's all it's a confidence issue really 
and and some keepers regain it. He luckily he's young enough that he can do that, or, and some people don't. So I think that's that's where I'd, I'd come down on it. It's it's up to him now, um, to to try and uh, better himself and and try and iron out the mistakes that he's making because they aren't they aren't fundamental errors in his game. They're they're more uh, they're more schoolboy mistakes. The ones that he's getting caught out for. Well, I just hope you don't get any designs on our uh, our boy Hugo um, there, Rob. Cause... Yeah, no, he's the best keeper in the league, and he, there's no doubt about that. I think um, since he, I mean, I couldn't believe you were starting him at this, you know, the beginning of last season. And but as soon as he came in, yeah, he's for me, he's the best keeper by quite, you know, not not a huge distance. I think De Gea is excellent. I think Czech's excellent, but I, I would definitely plump. For Larice as the best, I mean, because he, he's he's a, fen- he's a defender as well, isn't he? You know, it's it's really interesting to watch a keeper like that. You know, it's it's he's great. He's yeah, great. I don't think we would have. I don't think we would have lost at the Etihad last season had he been in goal over Larice. Um, I think the the two goals you scored against us last season when we played at the Etihad were um, were goals fundamentally down to Brad Friedel's uh, lackings rather than than anything else, especially the second mm. one that was a. Uh, it was a terrible goal to concede. Um, it was Jekyll, was wasn't it, who literally hit it at him, and he yeah. doesn't have the the reflex anymore to 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 get to it. Just to go back as well to your point about company there, that is definitely the other problem. Hart's been the main problem, but then the other problem has been company not being there, and we just don't cope without him. I mean, if you look at the we take last season and this season, I think we take an average of about 2.1 or 2.2 points a game when he's playing and 1.8 or 1.9 when he's not playing. And uh, we need to start being able to handle it when he's not playing better than we are doing. I mean, you look at the year we won the league, United were without Vidic and Ferdinand for large parts and they ran us close till well obviously to the last second of the season you know and whereas with us we wouldn't be capable of that and we 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 must address that because when he's not there the difference is too big you know a top side like we want to be uh, needs to be able to handle losing their best center back you know it's not a good enough excuse to say company's not there so you know we're not going to win as many games. We, we've got to start handling it better. But his influence is clear, and it's clear through Nastasic. When Nastasic plays alongside company, he looks like an absolute world-beater of a Rolls-Royce. You know, he's absolutely quality for his age, whereas when he's not there and he's not got that calming influence and he's not got that organisation and that leadership alongside him, he's not as good. And, um, you know... We need to we need to start handling it better because company has become what you would term injury prone. You know, I mean, he's had four or five injuries now. Um, I mean, he was out for a month and a half last year, and that was the period where we basically surrendered the title. So, you know, if he's going to keep being out injured, we need to handle it better. What what is it? Is it something uh, like a persistent issue, or is it lots of different things that he seems to keep? It's actually lots, it's lots of different things. I mean, it, it, it's been the groin, it's been the calf. I mean, I'm of the theory, I, he flies in a lot. You know, he's, he's a very committed player and you wouldn't want to take that away from him. But I've seen him flying for challenges in games where we've been three or four nil up and you just think, what's the point? You know, he needs to, 
maybe relax a little bit at certain times and not take as many risks because, um, you know, he's he, like I say, he's so important to us that we we need we really need to have him out on the pitch as often as we possibly can. Do you think that's something that needed addressing in the summer then? Because looking from through your your transfers, you only brought in Dean Michelis, who's, who's you know twenty six and he's getting on a little bit now. And also yeah, let Colo Toro go, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Colo Toro go as well. Yeah, we let Colo Toro go because he was on a whopping contract and we're trying to reduce the the wage bill, which we have done considerably. I mean, if you look at the wages of the players we brought in compared to the Hughes era players who we've let go. I mean, we're actually saving money every week, which is remarkable. So Torre kind of had to go, but yeah, take your point. I mean, Dem- Demichelis has been injured. I mean, it was really unlucky two days after, you know, he trained for two days and then got himself injured for six weeks. So that, there has been a, an element of misfortune that because he's exactly the type of replacement you want. You know, if companies out injured, you want somebody who is really experienced and really calm, and he seems to be that player. But obviously, we've hardly been able to get him out. I, mean, I think he's played the last five games now, so he's starting to find his feet a little bit. But, um, he's seasoned, isn't he? He's looked really solid. Because I, to be to be completely honest with you, I wasn't even aware that you'd signed him until I saw you playing against, I think it was West Ham, I think he played in that game. And I it just came as a complete surprise to me that you'd signed Demetrius. He's... Cause, yeah, in terms of what you're saying, as company, companies he's, cover, he's moved twice this summer, hasn't he? He, he went, um, he went to Malaga, um, from Malaga to Atletico. Atletico yeah. Madrid. Yeah, and then we signed him before he'd even played a competitive game for them. So it was a weird, bit of a weird deal, really. But obviously, Pellegrini knows him he's worked with him before and he really fancied him and really wanted him to come and yeah like you say in the games he's played he has looked good I mean the distribution has been a bit of an issue he's given the ball away an awful lot you know I mean certainly the first couple of games he gave it away a frightening amount of times but in terms of like his composure and um, you know his kind of appetite to go and head the ball and stuff like that he's looked really good and that is what we need so uh, hopefully once he's you know up and running, uh, you know properly, we'll have a good re- good replacement for company there. It's, it's a clever bit of business as well in the respect. Uh, I'm assuming that he's he's still eligible for international football, um, and he's going to be wanting to stake a claim for the for the World Cup squad as well. So you, yeah. you're going to be signing a player there that's really going to want to crack on and play in his last ever World Cup as well. Yeah, and he wants to prove himself that he's, you know, he can handle it in a league like the Premier League, and he's uh, probably his last big move as well. So yeah, I mean, I think um, the signs are quite good. I mean, he does lack a bit of pace though, and obviously in the Premiership with a defender that does worry you. Although Mertesacker books that trend because he's been excellent, hasn't he, this year? And he's not exactly the quickest, but you know what I mean. You do. I like to see pace in the back four. Um, in the Premier League, really, but yeah, I've been I've been impressed, really, in the in the couple, you know, in the few games we've seen. And how about? I mean, you've signed a few other players as well, though. Um, I would say so. I mean, Negredo, he's he had a kind of checkered start, but he seems to be finding his feet now. Um, you're oh, he's been fantastic, beast, been, as you call him up front. Yeah, he's been an absolute revelation. I mean, this guy. I I expected one of those kind of 
you know, quite infuriating players who will score you a lot of goals, but will also miss a lot as well. But he's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, both feet, he's got a great touch, great vision, so unselfish. The link-up play between him and Aguero has been absolutely outstanding. You know, it really has. I don't think anyone expected them to strike up the understanding and the relationship that they have done um, this quickly. And uh, he's just been, yeah, absolutely phenomenal signing so far. And and the fans love him already. You know, he's like a cult hero, so that always helps. Um, and, yeah, we've, we've got ourselves a cracking player there. Really impressed. In, in terms of on the pitch, is he not almost, though, a bit of a, a downgrade on Tevez? Because, uh, you know, for my... <laughs> Kind of uncult, not uncultured, I but for you know, I don't watch City every single game, ninety minutes. He seems to have a lot of similar attributes to Tevez in respect to you know, his presence up front. He's very hustle bustle. He runs a lot. Um, well, I guess he's a lot better in the air than Tevez ever was. Yeah, he's bigger and stronger, and he complements Aguero a lot better. When Aguero and Tevez played together I mean obviously it's a good strike force because you've got two absolutely brilliant players but they weren't necessarily a good foil for one another you know they weren't working in absolute harmony the whole time whereas but they're both from Argentina like they, yeah I know and, and uh, you know doesn't it work like that it doesn't it doesn't I'm afraid and they they were they were a little bit they both like to drop off at times and they both I don't know they it just the chemistry wasn't perfect whereas Negredo and Aguero just seem to be the perfect foil for one. I mean, if you look at the the stats in terms of, I think they're scoring a goal every 40 minutes that they're on the pitch together. They've assisted loads. I mean, I saw a comparison between Rooney and Van Persie, Suarez and Sturridge, and um, Negredo and Aguero, who have largely been seen as the three best sort of partnerships. And, are um, two are definitely statistically anyway um, doing the best at the moment. So I'm really impressed, and they just like I say, they work so well together. I mean, what have you made of him, Raj? Because I know at the he was a player that was linked to Spurs for a long time. The Grado, I say a long time, probably the past two seasons when we've been looking for another striker, um, and a lot was made of the comparison between him and Soldado and how they both performed in the Liga. Um, I mean, I know when we spoke to Bassam and Kaushik, the two Real Madrid guys, they seemed kind of undecided as to who they rated better out of Negredo and Soldado. Um, and despite them being two different players, what would you say that Negredo is doing at the moment that Soldado could potentially be doing better despite his lack of service, as we like to say? Um, I think you're right in saying they're two very different types of players. Um, Bobby's very much your out-and-out striker. He's your true number nine, the one that's going to be getting you all the goals. Um, from what I've seen in the grid of the past few seasons, um, especially at Sevilla when he was playing in Liga, he um, he's, he drops deeper and he he, uh, um, he he wants to get involved in the play a lot more. And uh, me, Rob, but he he seems to he'll be the one that will drop off more compared to Aguero and then they'll they'll build the attacks together, whereas Soldado will want to be the, the one that's on the end of the move. Um, so there are almost two players that could play together. Yeah, that has been the case, which surprised me because you look at Negredo, he's a big guy, he looks like a plasterer. 
you know, and you just think he's going to be the guy who sort of stands up front and is a big lump. But it's not the case at all. I mean, he, he drops off, he's quick, two great feet, great vision, and a really, really good footballing brain. And he's actually allowed Aguero to concentrate on scoring goals because last year Aguero was having to get involved in too much other stuff. Whereas now Negredo is doing a lot of the work and uh, Aguero concentrate on scoring goals, which he has been doing for fun. Yeah, completely agree. I think that's that on the head that the I think the way in which you can have a, a variety of different types of strikers, even though they they have to necessarily play the same role, but they've got the same job to do. The fact that you can have so many different types of players in the same position is something that's always interesting about forwards. Um, talking about forwards, though, you you obviously you traded in a couple this summer. Um, and then you've bought in Negredo that we spoke about and Jovetic as well, who hasn't played as much. Um, yeah. What's your, your early impressions been of him? Because he was, he's been one of the, the best young players in Europe the past few seasons. He's been excellent for Fiorentina. Yeah, I mean, he's hardly played. I feel really, really sorry for him because he's just been one thing after another and he's just not had a run. But the, the odd time we've seen him, he looks quality to me. I mean... Saw him a bit in pre-season, then he's played two or three games here and there during the season. And from what I can make out, he's one of those players who's nice touch, very comfortable with both feet and a good brain. And they're the type of players you enjoy watching, you know. And I, and I can't wait for him to have a bit of a run uh, in the team because it's just been, you know, it's been really difficult for him so far because he's just not had... Um, any kind of run of games at all, and when you move to a new club and a new country and everything else, the least you know that you need to kind of try and get up and running is a few games consecutively, and he's just not had it. So it's been really yeah, unfortunate. I was really interested to to see him come over to the Premiership. Actually, Jovetic, uh, I wrote an article this this summer about kind of potential striking targets for Spurs. And he was someone who I was really keen on as buying. I know Arsenal had been in contact with Fiorentina loads of times about getting him on board. Um, And then it almost seemed that you guys come out of nowhere. I thought, you know, it's going to be Arsenal where he's going to go because I think they'd had a bid accepted at one point. It was actually him that said to them that he wanted to, I think it was last January, Arsenal had a bid accepted and he turned it down saying he wanted to wait until the end of the season. Um they're still interested now, apparently. They want to take him on loan, you know, because he's obviously struggling for games. There was, I think there was talk of that again today in some of the papers that Wenger's really, you know, obviously really keen on him. And like you say, he came pretty close to, to doing a deal, I think. And uh, we nipped him. There won't be any sense in that for you, though, surely? You know, giving a uh, title rival a striker. Yeah, probably not. I mean, obviously we would do the old trick of, you know, he can't play against us kind of thing. But yeah, it would be... It would be nonsensical, although I did write an article the other day saying that if Arsenal wanted Dzeko, then they can have him. So maybe... Uh, that I saw lot- that you got tons of abuse for that one, didn't you? I, I get incredible. Eddie Dzeko is a very strange entity. He has got a fierce following of uh, fans who just will not have a bad word said against him. I think it's because, obviously, he kind of carries... Um, Bosnia, he scores loads of goals for them. So all the Bosnians just hold him in such high regard that they can't see any failings. And obviously when he plays, he's absolutely rubbish. And 
I'll write an article saying that and they don't like it. So uh, you, you don't want to piss off Bosnians either, man. I, well, I think I have to. I've done it about four or five times. I mean, they cannot stand me, and um, I've just kind of got used to it, you know. So, but the last one was particularly bad. The one that you're referring to, I got absolutely hammered, <laughs> hammered for it because I suggested we should sell him, you know. And uh, he, he, I, he he reminds me quite a lot of uh, Roman Pavlyuchenko. Um, I think he's a better player than Roman Pavlyuchenko ever was. But at the same time, uh, they're two players that they have a lot of attributes that could see them be very, very good strikers. Like Pavlyuchenko's finishing at times was absolutely sublime. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. And it, it, it seems that way with Dzeko a lot, but they both suffer from that problem whereby they just seem so lazy. Like, yeah, they the, are. The times I've watched Dzeko, few, especially at the a game at the lane, not when he scored four or seven goals, I mean, it was against us. Um, I think he... Did he play last year when we beat you? Uh, at White Hart Lane? Uh, yes, I think he did. I and he was he... just non-existent when he was on the yeah. pitch and it just seemed that there was nothing... Uh, and this is this is the link that I, I quite controversially make to Daniel Sturridge, who I don't particularly see the hype with, in that I think when I've... When Liverpool... When it hasn't been going their way this this season... Sturridge has kind of disappeared and he doesn't seem to have that fight in him. And I think that's what separates players like Aguero, aside from the fact that Aguero is absolutely phenomenal, yeah. um, that they seem to have that real desire to win, that that yeah. want to chase back and get the ball and take it forwards themselves. Whereas there's a lot of strikers who will just kind of sit up there and wait for it to be to be given to them on a plate. Um, and Dzeko seems very much like that. Couldn't agree more. I mean, the, 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 obviously, the problem I have with the Bosnian, uh, the fierce Bosnian support that Jeko uh, has is that his goal scoring record is actually really decent. You know, it is. And I'm not knocking it. The, the guy will score goals. Like, wherever he goal goes, he will score goals. But you want more from a striker. And I'm, and I'm fed up of watching him do nothing for 80 minutes. Uh, score a goal and then everyone will think, oh, actually, Dzeko is a decent player because he's not. And Negredo, we knew it anyway. I mean, a lot of the City fans had kind of given up with Dzeko at the end of last season. But Negredo coming in has just highlighted it so much because this guy has got more talent than Dzeko and he's scoring at the same rate as Dzeko, if not more. But for 90 minutes, that guy will bully defenders and run, in, run into the channels and just, you know, give... The back four of the opposition at 90 minutes of a torrid time, and that is what you want, isn't it? And Jeko, he's just not capable of doing that. He doesn't want to. He's not interested, and he's always got someone to blame Jeko as well, which really annoys me. So he's the manager, you know. It was Mancini at one stage. He's not playing him. Um, I mean, the amount of times he cites the four goals he scores at Tottenham and then was on the bench the next time, you'd think that that was the reason his career's not, you know, gone anywhere. He's always mentioning it. And then recently he did an interview saying the same about Pellegrini. And you just think to yourself, you know, it's time that you kind of accepted some responsibility yourself and looked at your own performance because it's not good enough. You know, it, it really isn't. Would you have him at Spurs, almost, I was about to say, it, it, after that, no, because it almost sounds like he, he could be have interchanged the name Jekko for Jermaine Defoe. Um, <laughs> it was almost identical reasons as to why he frustrates me so much. Is He's obviously got a, a fairly passable... 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Goal-scoring record, but other than that, his position within the team is is questionable down to the fact that he does so little but score against questionable sides. Um, I, think, I think he's a slightly better than Defoe, but I do take your point. It yeah, is. He's, def- he's, 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 he's definitely better than Defoe. I'd swap them in a heartbeat, but... Um, there's, um, the way the way in which you've described him, especially the way in which that he 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 speaks out of turn and almost has an elevated uh, impression of his own self-importance, is um, very much in the same ilk as Jermaine Defoe. I, I get this though, but is this not something you you want in your players though? I mean, even if it's misplaced or not, you know, for for someone to become a a, a Premiership football, a professional footballer, even they have to have this air of being able to blow smoke up their own ass. Um, and if you've got a player that doesn't want it, that doesn't fight for it, you people are often as quick to criticise them as when you do have a player like Defoe or Jack. I'm just, you know, I'm not voicing my own opinion, but I'm just saying that it, it seems almost hypocritical to say, oh, well, you know, he wants to play and he, you know, really thinks he should play because he thinks he's a good player and he believes in himself. But yeah. then... There's a very thin line between self-confidence and overconfidence. You can be, you can be Sergio Aguero and believe in yourself, or you can be Nicholas Bentner and believe you're the best striker in the world. <laughs> it's, um, it's it's a very thin line psychologically psychologically to be treading, um, yeah. and some players get the balance wrong. I tell you, while while we're on this one, actually, it'd be quite interesting to hear your thoughts on Adebayor, Rob, um, and the circumstances under which he he left you because. I mean, something like criticism that seems to be levelled at him at every club he's been to is that he's lazy. But that's just, I mean, even last year when he when he was kind of in and out of the team and not our first choice player, when people would say he's lazy, I mean, there would be actual like statistical data to prove otherwise, that he was usually one of our hardest working players, that he'd run all over the place. I just think he's rubbish. I mean, that's... that's... <laughs> That's my opinion. I mean, the, the, look at the facts. We bought him for twenty-five million. We loaned him to Real Madrid. They didn't want him, and we sold him to you for five. I mean, does that, that says it all, doesn't it? Really, he was. He was. He is. I think he's a shocking player, and he was so so bad for us. The first three or four weeks, he was good, but no, not for me. I don't rate him one bit. I don't know. Don't really know what he brings um, to the party, you know. Um, he's supposed to be like a big physical presence. I never really saw that. He didn't score loads of goals for us. He was pretty uncomfortable with the ball at his feet. I found, uh, and that was, you know, that's coming from someone who really rated him at Arsenal and was thrilled to bits when we signed him. I thought we'd got ourselves an absolute because on his day, I mean, I've seen him murder 
Ferdinand and Vidic. And, you, you know, when you see a player who's capable of doing that, you think, my word, you know, he's obviously an incredible player. But when I got to watch him up close, week in, week out, very quickly, I just came to the conclusion that he was useless. And um, the £5 million we got from you, I, you know, if I was City, I would have done the same. Absolutely snatch your hand off. I mean, you, I, I don't... I find it hard to agree, though, in, just in <laughs> yeah. respect that just because he does have these glimpses, like we saw last year um, when we were playing Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge, he was just absolutely, he was head and shoulders the best player on the pitch. And this is when, you know, you're talking about a pitch that he was sharing with the likes of Gareth Bale and you know, Eden Hazard, Frank Lampard, so on and so forth. He just, he was absolutely ast- like astounding. And we've we've seen pockets of it here and there when he has played for us in other games, that he looks brilliant. Um, and even even games where people say that he hasn't done that well for us, I still don't ever think he's he's really had a, a, a rubbish performance for Tottenham. I, it, it's, it's, it seems to be that everything stems from off-field issues with him. I mean, I, I know he's, you know, the, 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 the bus incident was particularly, you know, horrendous and someone could be forgiven for struggling with their form after something like that. Um, and I know he, he suffered from the death of his brother this summer, but it seems to be going past the point now whereby he's being kept out of the team for his head not being in the game. It seems to be that there is some kind of issue with him and AVB and be it his dedication in training or otherwise. I don't know. But, I mean, you, you're you quite fond of the lad as well, aren't you, Raj? Yeah, Um uh, <clears throat> I think he, he's been fantastic while he's been with us. There have been certain performances where he hasn't been as good. Um, but his first season while he was with us, he, he scored almost 20 goals that season and, and assisted almost a similar amount. And that was the best season we'd had from a striker in, in many a year. Um, and he, he looked absolutely fantastic that year. He, he, understandably, he was working alongside... Rafa van der Vaart and they'd come to some sort of agreement and some sort of uh, partnership there and with Luka Modric feeding them and the, the such there was um, there's much better service for him however last season I'd, I'd almost go as far as to say in, in the second half of last season where he was playing much more than, than Jermaine Defoe he was one of the reasons that, that Gareth Bale scored as many goals as he did purely because his his, his appreciation of space um, as a as a lone centre forward is something that you rarely see from from forwards. It's um, he's very selfless with the ball. Um, his goal goal scoring obviously suffers because of it. But with the system we played last season, with the um, the three players behind him, uh, he'd often drop back and he'd, he'd run the channels and he'd go wider. He'd be one of the, the hardest working players on the field. He'd, he'd cover so much. Which ground and it, people often point a finger at him and say, "Why isn't he in the box? Why isn't he here? Why is he stood out there rather than being, being, uh, you know, playing in the traditional space?" But because he'd he'd pull defenders out, he'd he'd make runs into space and he'd, he'd have an appreciation of where a defender would go if he was to to run in a certain direction, and then the, the area in which behind him he'd allow somebody like Gareth Bale to run and, and score from. It's something that, that was fantastic to see. I think it's so obviously when you're trying to describe uh, the the nuance of some people's tactical appreciation of space on a football field, uh, some people might might think you're uh, 
class being at Shrewal somewhat. But um, it's something that I, I, I very much stick up for him for. He's, for me, he's still a much better proposition from the bench or, or even as a, a second striker than um, than Jermaine Defoe is. And I'd, if if we had to sell one of them, I'd, um, I'd sooner see it be Defoe. Yeah, he's better than that. Uh, that's, uh, that's not a popular opinion. There you go, Rob. Yeah, he he appreciates space. So he does. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> right. I think what I mean, your description of him was bordering on the the old uh, on his day. Yeah, I know. It's very good, and and I always find that when when you have to put that caveat in with a player, the alarm bells ring with me, and that is the thing with Adibayo. On his day, he is great. Well, he doesn't have enough of those days and he's infuriating and he's a player who comes with baggage. He's a player who costs a lot of money. He's always on a big contract. And for me, I wouldn't touch him with a barge pole. If I was, you know, if I was in charge of a club or looking to buy a striker, I certainly wouldn't be looking at him. I'd, 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 I'd um, you know, there'd be 20 more strikers I would want before. I'd, I'd rather have Jekko. And that's saying something. Yeah. Well, uh, we we got to move on, but just fairly swiftly, Jesus Navas. Um, he's seems to be a, in a similar position to Eric Lamella at the moment, in that he's kind of in and out of the team, hasn't really hit his stride yet. Are people getting on his back already? No, not yet. No, because I mean, yeah, he's, he has been a bit hit and missed so far. In terms of he's not he's not had a proper run. But I think the thing with Navas is. I'm going to sound like your description of Adebayor here, but he, even in the, like, take the United game, for example, when we won 4-1, Navas played, and he wasn't, you know, it wasn't amazing. He didn't, like, he set up on one of the goals with a, with a brilliant run and whatnot, but just having him there and stretching the back four and keeping that left-back occupied, because obviously the full-backs can't stand playing against someone with that much pace. He, he really had something to the side, and... Um, and he was Sunderland at the weekend when he came on. Uh, sorry, not the weekend, just gone the weekend before when he came on. And um, he was our best outlet. So I think he's got a role to play. He's either a player who you're going to start from the beginning and he's going to keep um, the play stretched and create space for others. Or he's a player you can bring on as an impact substitute. And I think the guy's got a lot of talent. I really do. I think he's uh, that that level of pace is an absolute asset to any side and uh, he can deliver good balls, you know, and um, I like him. I like him. He's not going to be a player who starts every single game. And I think a part of that reason, the reason for that as well is that Nasri's form has been so, you know, so impressive this season. He's really nailed himself into the first 11 after quite a poor season last season. So, um, but yeah, I like him and I don't think anybody's on his back at this stage. No, well, let's hope he doesn't find his stride against us this weekend. Um, now, one thing that yeah, I, I can't, I can't let you get away with not talking about um, Rob. And I'm, I'm sure you're probably bored of having this chat with Man United fans, but it's something we posed to the Chelsea guy Joe when we had him on. Um, given that we're a club very much on the precipice at the moment, we've got our new stadium underway, um, and we have all this kind of brand management that seems to be going on around the club that a lot of people are making the logical conclusion that we're probably going to be sold fairly soon um now as as a manchester city fan 
I can I can appreciate beating Man United on the last day of the season must have been absolutely phenomenal. It must have been a breathtaking, yeah, exhilarating feeling. And it was even just as a neutral seeing, you know, seeing the way the title race unfolded and kind of thinking, fuck, I wish we could have done that to Arsenal. Um, <laughs> but is it, do you not still, is, is there not that part of you that worries that it hasn't been done the right way? Well, what is the right way? I don't understand. I mean, the the the, the, the teams who stole a march, who formed the Premier League, they they didn't do things ethically either, did they? If you go back to '92, there was a group of five or six chairmen: Everton, Arsenal, United, one or two others. And I, they think, decided, I think we were in the play. I think we were in the mix on that. Yeah, you're in the mix as well. You you lot decided that. Hang on a minute. This idea of evenly spreading um, television money, we don't like that anymore. We actually want to concentrate a lot more of it into our hands. So we're going to form the Premier League. We're going to do our own exclusive rights for that league, and we're going to make a lot more money. And the gap between the top twenty or twenty four, as it started, or whatever it was, clubs. And the rest is going to get bigger. So you lot did that and stole a march. And then we had to catch up. And we've done that by being taken over by um, a group of people who are obviously extremely wealthy and have invested in the club in the right way. I mean, they've spent £100 on an academy and training ground that's opening next year. But we're always told we're ruining youth football, even though we're making the biggest investment in youth football in this country. Um, they have been, the owners have been so conscientious of City's history and values and not tinkering too much with that. They've been fabulous owners. So no, I don't feel we've not done it in the right way because I don't see what the right way is. I mean, if you want to follow something ethical, don't follow football. That would be my advice, you know, because none of it's very ethical, is it? You know, you've got corruption in FIFA, corruption in UEFA, You've got people trying to concentrate money in the Premier League and then you've got people coming with big money and investing into clubs and, you know, it's all over the place, isn't it? So, no, I don't feel bad at all. I really, really don't. But, I mean, just in the respect that, you know, it, it seems like you've you've chucked a lot, of, a lot of money into the team and I appreciate, you know, you've put the money into the, the Youth Academy. That's a, that's a very just point. Um, but at the same time... You, you had this initial massive outlay, yeah. Uh, it didn't seem to to work in the respect that you know we we beat you to fourth that year when yeah. it kind of looked like you were really going to push on, and it just seems to kind of get to this point. You've just been spending and spending and spending an untold amount of money, where it's almost seemed like there's been no real risk to it. It's just been the respect of we're going to keep spending hundreds and hundreds of millions until we win the premiership as opposed to let's kind of buy these players develop them because i mean i i i can i can get the point that you know if you'd come in and uh, there'd been a big investment initially it's going to be something that's harder to begrudge than the fashion in which it has kind of happened with yourselves and with chelsea in particular whereby it just seems to be that if it's not working we're not going to really give players time i mean look at the likes like roque santa cruz you know you, you brought him in for extraordinary amounts of money yeah, it was, ridiculous. It was yeah. given what a handful of games it didn't work yeah you just went on to someone else same with rubinho yeah, 
to wait. We've wasted. I mean, don't, uh, right. My first answer there, I was talking about a broad view of the takeover, and I've got no problem with that. If you actually breaking it down and uh, being specific, yes, we've wasted loads of money. We've done poor deals left and right. We've signed players on two, you know, big contracts and whatnot. But we're in a weird situation, weren't we? Because we were taken over and we were traditionally um, a bit of a nothing club, you know, a bit of a joke. So we had to make a big investment straight away to catch up. Now, in order to convince players to come to City at that time, we had to offer them more than they were going to get elsewhere. You know, we had to do that. So we were in this weird situation where we were buying kind of not world-class players and paying them probably more than world-class wages and transfer fees. That's stopped now, hasn't it? I mean, if you look at the deals we did this summer, for example, in terms of price and contract, they're, they're, they're much reduced. You know, we, we want to become self-sufficient. That's the aim. We want to comply with um, the new fair play spending law. <coughs> And uh, I think you'll see things will change. I think I think you're going to see that we're not going to be throwing shed loads of money at things anymore. We're going to be, you know, a little bit more prudent. But I take your point. Yeah, I mean, you could go through our transfers since the takeover, and uh, we've done some fabulous ones. But we've done we've done a, a load of absolutely dreadful deals, particularly in the Mark Hughes era. It seemed we were handing out huge contracts to players who really weren't worthy of it. You know, Wayne Bridge and Santa Cruz and Adebayor being the kind of classic examples, but there were others as well, you know. And uh, so, yeah. But on, a, on, a, on an ethical level, which I thought your original question was sort of alluding to, I've got no problem with what we're doing, really. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll carry it on from there. Um, the way in which I'd, I'd see you... A club being sustainably built within a, a moral, um, a moral way that I wouldn't have to question. I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel uncomfortable with. Is a way in which Tottenham are currently doing it. Um, we don't make any losses. We're building a new stadium. We've built a new training ground for money that we've personally made from profit from the club over a many number of years yeah. on a commercial on a commercial business and as a as a business itself with the size of the stadium we've got currently we're not on the same level as as Arsenal Liverpool um Manchester City even Manchester United Chelsea our clubs uh, the club as a as a business and as, as an entity in that sense is much smaller so we're almost overachieving to be to be competing with you on the pitch in the way we are yeah that's that's another achievement in my opinion I that. um we that's what we're trying to do though we're, we want to be at the stage where we're completely self-sufficient. We're not there yet, but there's a plan in place to do that. And I think that if we're given time, we're going to be producing our own players, we're going to be only spending what we make, and we're going to be doing things in what you know a lot of people consider the right way. Uh, I just think that we had such a deficit. Best. We had a deficit to make up initially, didn't we? And we still kind of do in a way. Um, we were we were behind everybody else, and we wanted to be in the in the, in in the big league, you know. So we had to kind of catch up. Yeah, but rather taking ten years to do it and and spending, if I just go if I, if I look past over the last ten years of spending that you've done, uh, two thousand and four, two thousand and five, you brought in eighteen players and you made six million pounds of profit. That's a, a good summer for a club. The next yeah. summer, you brought in another eighteen players. You made seventeen million pounds of profit. Another good summer. 
And then you haven't made profit since. Uh, the following summer, you bought 25 players. You lost 2 million. The following summer, you bought 30 players. And then you lost 60 million. Summer after that, you bought 34 players. You lost 115 million. And these aren't small amounts of countries. These are, you know, you could pay off African debt with the amount of money that's being spent here. So next season, 09, 10, 28 players, 102 million pounds that you lost there. Uh, the following summer, I think this is a high one, 41 players in, 127 million pounds there that you lost. Uh, 37 players the following season for, for 60 million loss. Uh, 28 players the season after for 15 million. And then the relatively good summer that you, you say you've just had for 17 arrivals, you've lost a further £91 million. That, to me, isn't isn't a self-sustainable club. It's not a, a moral, morally ethical club in the slightest. I'd rather... It's not, it's not self-sustainable. Now, what, what I meant by this business is that the players who have come in are coming in on much reduced contracts, whereas we were paying 150000 to players before... We're now giving out seventy and eighty thousand pound contracts, and eventually, that is hopefully going to. I mean, the, we need a mix, don't we? That the, what we're trying to achieve is having splatterings of world class players on big contracts all over the pitch, and then young, outstanding talent alongside them. And it takes time to achieve that, doesn't it? Um, it does, think- but it, it, you could have done it over a longer period of time. The, the, just. Taking that block of 10 years, if you just spread that spending out over 20, 30 years and become a league winning side over a longer period of time and done it as a, as a much more acceptable business model, that would have been something as a fan I would have found much easier to swallow. Um, I think th- th- that way, especially with the, the owners you've got as well, the, the, the reasons behind them buying your club is something that I'd, I'd, I'd also find... Uh, uncomfortable to, to settle with the fact that they've essentially bought a, a public company in a, uh, in a different country in order to, to legitimise funds and money from themselves that could otherwise be, be questionable morally and legally to some extent is, is something that from a different industry is, is is the only reason why they've they've decided to build to buy into an industry that's so public and, and so wide-reaching is, is to almost self-legitimise themselves so it's it, that's something that would feel uncomfortable with me i think that's the, that's the reason why the word morals brought so much that's the reason why manchester city and chelsea are always banded together so much i mean does it not whenever somebody says to you that you you know you that you are some people don't even think of city and chelsea as clubs anymore they, they refuse to look at them as a, as a football club because of the amount of spending and things that, that have gone on is that not something that sits uncomfortably with you like like I said, I mean, I don't find much. You know, you don't you don't see many great ethics in football in general, do you? Really? Um, so no, I mean, I, I tell you, I, I understand your point. I understand your point. Don't get me wrong. And obviously, the ideal way of doing it would be kind of being self sufficient, making your own money and whatnot. But we had gone through a really turbulent period. Um, in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, and it set, it set us back immensely. And during that period, the top four, as it became known, was completely consolidated, and everybody was complaining that it was too rigid. When it was United, Arsenal, Chelsea and Liverpool finishing in the top four in various permutations every season, nobody liked that either. 
then when somebody came along and said, okay, we're going to have an initial big burst of investment because it's going to take that to catch these four sides who have cemented their place at the top of the game, people didn't like that either. So do, do you know what was just most annoying about it? It was almost like, as a Spurs fan, we saw that building and then we saw our own project kind of building. It was just like, right, here we go, lads. Liverpool are on the slide. We're going to take it now. We're going to break into the top four and, oh, for fuck's sake, as like we suddenly saw City come in into play. So, that's, that's, I don't know. That's kind of what I've always seen it as, in a way. I mean, yeah, I can understand why it doesn't sit right with other people. I can, you know, but if you're asking me to kind of, I sat and watched shit for years and, you know, now I get to watch some of the best players in the world. It's not my money. Forgive me for kind of um, not beating myself up about it in the style of like David Conn would do, the Guardian writer who calls himself a City fan who writes about this stuff every day. Uh, He lets it bother him to an incredible degree. Um, Don't you miss Sean Gota, though? Oh, yeah, of course. We all do. You know, we all do. I would love... And, yeah, not to... I I don't want to suggest either that those times that were turbulent weren't enjoyable because they absolutely were, and I look back on them very, very fondly indeed. Look at it like... the Okay, as as pain goes, the the 3-4 at White Hart Lane. Yeah. That that kind of thing, that... Doesn't that, doesn't that like when it comes out of the blue like that? Isn't that so much better than almost like this this no, expectation not. now? Because, no. you, you, but don't you find that the fans are expecting to win now? You're expected yeah. to win the league. You're expected to win the Champions League. But so if if you do, it's almost like a relief. It's like, oh right, well yeah, we won the league, great because we were supposed yeah. to do that. It's definitely that. There is definitely that. We're expected to do it now, and that is a weird situation. But the only comparison I can give you... I mean, I've been, I got my first season ticket at City in 94, so that's been pretty much my period. And in that period, we've had two incredible highs, and that was the Wembley playoff from Division 2 in 99, where we won on penalties and went up, and the Sergio Aguero winner when we won the league. And both of them were equally as exhilarating. So... At the same time, yeah, you expect it now, and whereas before it was a surprise. But in terms of enjoyment, I enjoyed them both probably equally. Um, so, yeah, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And I, I certainly don't sit there thinking, oh, this is an ethically riot. Uh, Tottenham have had a net spend of £164 million in the last 20 years, whereas ours is 568 I mean, they're all ridiculous eye-watering sums of money. Football's absurd from top to bottom. And just because we have come along at a later date and kind of done it in a in, in turbocharged form, no, I don't I don't I don't but if if if, the, if somebody wants to have a debate about having total equality across the English game, every professional club equally portioned money from television and whatnot then that's different. But at the moment, we don't operate in those terms. And I don't, yeah, I don't let it bother me. It doesn't, I don't sit there thinking, oh, you know, this is tinged. That Aguero goal wasn't as exciting because we'd spent X amount of money and we didn't make that in profit. You know, I'm not arsed. And whether that makes me a terrible person or not, I don't know. It does, Rob. I'm sorry to tell you. It's it's not, you know what I mean? (laughs) Football is one of those games, isn't it? It's like there's no role models, there's no ethics, there's no nothing to cling on to for me that's particularly, 
you know, I, I get that sort of stuff from elsewhere. Football's kind of, yeah, I don't know. No, to answer, in short, to answer your question, <laughs> does it bother me? No, it, it absolutely doesn't. <laughs> it's becoming, I, I know what you're saying in football, it's, it's almost becoming a bit like WWF wrestling, isn't it, in a way? This, this, this kind of glitz, the glam, the pyrotechnics, not as many greased up, half-naked men, um, but that, that could come in time, perhaps. I mean, I would, if if I was having a complete review of the game and everybody was going to change, then yeah, I would want ticket prices lowering. Certainly for away fans, I'd want to see working class people afford to be able to go again. I wouldn't want to see clubs in the championship in League 1 and League 2 getting completely left behind and the gap getting bigger every year. So yeah, if we want to have a root and branch change of everything, fair enough. But I do find the City get picked on a little bit when it's kind of nitpicking, you know, over not very much. I don't know. I'm not explaining myself very well, but I just don't think that we are as evil or as big a problem in the game as a lot of people like to make out. As Sepp Blatter. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there you go. There's There's another big problem. And there's problems everywhere, everywhere you look. I tell you, this is something that could rumble on for a considerable amount of time, and we are, yeah, you know, we are running out of time this evening. So we'll we'll move on to the uh, to the the upcoming fixture, okay. which is you know terrifying me if I if I'm brutally honest with you. Um, I don't know where to start, Raj. Can you see us taking anything at all from this game? Because for me, it's. I think it's got a walloping written all over it. No, of course I can. Um, I mean, um, we, we're a better team away from home than we are at White Hart Lane. Um, last season, we, as I said before, we were, we were a, a goalkeeper away from from taking something away. Um, we possibly wouldn't have conceded at all had uh, had our first choice goalkeeper been in. Uh, but that was during the period that he was—he was obviously being embedded into the the team learning say, language. We were upper Gareth Bale though at that point. No, he wasn't actually in his full stride. I mean, the, the thing cost us going forwards in that game specifically was how good both of City's fullbacks were against Lennon and Bale. Lennon and Bale completely marked out of it. We had, I think, we had Clint Dempsey having to play up front by himself because uh, Jermaine Defoe was injured and Nadi Bayar wasn't playing as well. Um, Started the game, Adi Bayor, but he's only just coming back from injury. Um, but he, I remember, he was actually quite good that game because he, he usually has those sort of performances against his old club because he's, he's got something to prove. But um, I can't see us being spanked. Obviously, uh, I don't want to to say that and then see us be stuffed on the weekend. But I can see I can see it being tight. I don't think either manager will will be too. Um, too outlandish in their pursuit of a victory. Um, they'll be, they'll be, with them both being fairly tactically astute continental managers. There'll be, um, there'll be a lot of second guessing one another. And usually, when that happens, is um, it's usually quite a stifled start to the game, and it'll be fairly slow paced to begin with. Um, obviously, City have the the, um, the the talent there to win the game on their own if, if needs be. But um, I think as a unit, should we um, should we set up correctly? Um, we, we should be fine. Um, I mean, I mean that, sorry, yeah, carry on, mate. I was just going to say that the thing that does worry me, obviously, is that attacking talent that they've got up front. But um, 
if we've got if we've got a, a first choice centre backs back and everything, and and we play Kabul and Vertong in there, and and Carl Walker's on song and Hugo Lloris is playing well, then I can't see it, it being too bad. I mean, be be brutally honest, Rob. It's an objective show. Um, are Spurs a side that actually worry you at all anymore? Yeah, of course. Um, our record was that horrendous not that long ago that. You know, yeah, the, 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 just the name Spurs does seem to scare me. I know we've kind of addressed that in recent years and whatnot. I mean, the only thing I will say is we are absolutely outstanding at home. And um, um, we are very confident at home, and I'm usually confident we'll win our home games. So that, yeah. But, yeah, no, Spurs do. Of course they do. They've got some top players. You know, you've got you've got one of the best squads in the league for me. And I, I want to mention Sandro as well before I go because that guy is one of the great players in the Premier League and um, you're very very fortunate to have a man like that in your squad and I think that we know he's the he's the kind of player who can completely get a grip of a game boss it and um, get your team in control pretty much single handedly and we need to kind of be aware of that if he does play um, at the weekend because he's just yeah I'm so enamoured with that there's guy. a very real chance that um, Sandro will be playing in a in a midfield band alongside Etienne Capoue on the weekend so it's um, it's two players very much in the same mould of, of fucking everyone's shit up when they're on the ball yeah and then um, that's a prospect I mean I think defensively the, that's very appealing the real shame for Sandro was that it seemed that when he was hitting genuine world-class form, when he actually really looked like he was becoming a proper player for us, he just had a horrendous injury that's kept him well, out for looked, so long. He looked like he was becoming the best player in the league. And I don't I don't mean that, you know, in a hyperbolic way. I actually mean that he was looking. Before he got the injury last year, he was the best player in the league for me. And if I could have signed one player in the league... I think it would have been him. I just think he's fucking, you know, he is brilliant. You know, he's got so much to his game because he's not, he's just, yeah, like I say, he's one of them who, when he's on it, he can absolutely run the show for you. And that makes such a difference when you've got a player like that who can proactively go out there, grab a game by the scruff of the neck and get you in control. You know, that is a hell of a player to have. And um, yeah, you need to get him kind of back playing every game and being absolutely at the peak of his powers because if you do, you've got a chance against anybody. That's the way I see it. How, how do you see yourself setting up against us? I mean, do you think Roger's correcting that you, you're not going to go hell for leather and come out all no, guns blazing? No, I think Roger's wrong about that, actually. I think that we only know how to play one way at home, it seems to me, under Pellegrini. We play 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. We press high up the pitch and we attack. I think that's the only way we're going to do it. I mean, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Maybe, you know... Spurs are, you know, one of the big sides, so maybe there'll be more caution there. But if you're the United game and, the, you know, there's anything to go by, then no, I can't see us playing in any other way. In the United game, though, you have, you have David Moyes there, who his game plan is to invite better sides onto him, whereas that's not something that AVB will do. Um, yeah, maybe. Well, we kind of set the tempo there. And I, I go, I mean, I go to the Pellegrini press conference every Friday, and the one theme that I've noticed that he keeps banging on about that the press haven't really picked up on yet is he keeps saying 
I want us to play only one way. He's got this idea of how he wants us to play, and it's the way we played against Newcastle and the way we played against United, and that is what he wants constantly, homing away for 90 minutes. So he will be telling his players that that's what he wants, and, um, you know, that's it, really. All right, and Rob, well, if you had to call it, and you do have to call it, or else we'll send Sandro around, um, <laughs> what's the score going to be? I do hate doing this because football's so unpredictable that you can end up looking like a Wally when really all you've done is had a go at having a prediction, you know, you've got it wrong. But all right, I'll say we'll win and I'll say 2 1, maybe. Yeah, I'll go for that. 2 1 City. I think you said 2 1 City last week, didn't you, as well, Raj? Did I? I can't remember. I think I may have gone 1 all. Um, I don't think I'd have predicted us to lose. I said three um, one city, so I'm a shit Spurs fan. Yeah, I'm going. I'll, I'll go one all. Um, I think if we're if we're gonna win it all, it'll be very smash and grab. Um, but um, yeah, one all sounds about right to me. I can see both both that scoring, uh, especially if Pantelimon's in goal. Um, so I'd, I'd be happy with one all. Take a Soldado goal. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, all right, um, well, thanks very much for joining us this evening, Rob. As well, it's been a pleasure having you aboard. Um, sorry if you feel like we've uh, we we <laughs> jumped on your your ethics there a bit. Well, and... You did, you did. And if you, let me just say before you go, if you want <laughs> if you if you want good ethics, get yourself down to an animal activist um, convention, or get yourself down to some kind of anti-capitalism left-wing meeting because then you'll feel great you know if if it's good ethics you want don't you know get out of football that's my advice well sound advice really because it is it's a bit of a rancid game nowadays amf as as everyone says yes um but yeah thanks and of course uh for for anyone listening as well you can check out all of rob's work on typicalcity.org um and also you write for the bleacher report as well as a number of other people don't you Rob? yeah yeah bleacher report squawker a few other people as well so and he's are. he's definitely worth following even as a even as a spurs fan rob's definitely worth following on twitter as well at typical city so thank you very much purely because he he goes on about Ledley King all the time so yeah but uh, yeah thanks so much Rob for joining us no problem I really enjoyed it thank you he was certainly mad for it Um, I I think you put him a bit on on the spot there Roger your Matthew Syed style (laughs) news night I think I twisted his melon he did (laughs) he twisted his melon man Um, (laughs) he uh, yeah he's a good lad though and uh, yeah I Sorry, sorry if we were a bit brutal on you, Rob. Raj can be a bit Paxman at times, so but you know, you you are an abhorrent person. I've got to say, yeah, sorry, mate. The devil, the devil, uh, paved the the road to hell with good intentions. That's a that's an old fable I've just made up now. Um, I, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, well, let's go on to some of our listener questions. So. Yeah. We've had um, from Bradley Briggs um, at the Bradger. He says thoughts on using three centre backs, maybe three, two, four, one, slot in an extra creative player and force some width. What do you make of that, Raj? In theory, it's something we could do. Um, I think actually, coincidentally, it's something we did for a little while against uh, City last season, using wing backs with three centre backs on the field um, for a short time. But um, the problem with it being is we've got 
no left back currently that can that can operate as a wing back. I wouldn't want to make Yamba Tonga do that. He, he's struggling to play as a um, as a fairly standard left back at the moment without giving him the added responsibility of being slightly more dynamic. But at the same time, I mean, isn't it? We're kind of playing with wing backs at the moment. We just could because we were relying on the fact we have an absolute athlete in Carl Walker at right back, um, and we had a similar, not so much, you know, not as much of an athlete, but still a a, a, f- a fairly fit man in Benoit Sorokoto and Danny Rose before that playing at left back. That we do have that overlap with our you know midfielders. So it that's was- the um, that's the general rule of a fullback in modern football. Though I don't think. You have many fullbacks that are just out and out defenders these days. If they cannot overlap their wide men and they can't cross the ball or, or aid in an attack, that's that's a detriment to their ability. Even if they're playing in a flat back four, their their job is to be auxiliary wingers and and also be defenders when it's when it's needed. Would um, you not say we do that on much more of a level than a lot though? No, I think. Pretty much every team that has fullbacks will want them to push on. Obviously, some teams play more negative football, especially away from home. But even even the teams at the bottom of the league, when they've got the ball, their their fullbacks will be looking to get forward. Um, I think the tactical difference of, of playing three at the back is very much making a a very prominent distinction between the fullback role and the uh, and the wing back role. That their starting position will be much higher up the field. Um, they'll almost be halfway up our own half when they start uh, with the ball. They'll only ever drop back when when the other team are getting uh, uh, very close to us. Um, as I say, it's something I, I wouldn't mind experimenting with, but it would require us to have the um, the personnel available, um, which we don't currently have. Um, Carl Walker is a perfect um, perfect uh, person to try in that sort of system, but um, he's not somebody I'd. Um, I mean, sorry, left back isn't isn't somewhere that I'd feel comfortable trying that with at the moment. We've had a question from Pilo, um, Pablo Ortega seventy seven, which is when will gelling no longer be an excuse of fans? I'm assuming he's referring to the fact that you know we're giving AVB and the squads extra leeway um, owing to the overhaul that the teams received. It's it's a hard one to call, really. Surely, you can't really put a date um, on when a club, when a, a first team squad should have gelled by. It just seems to be something that that happens or does. No, not at all. Um, I think at the beginning of the year, when we were having fingers pointed towards us that, that we'd bought too many too soon, and that would derail our our uh, our competitiveness somewhat in a little this year I think that I always pointed towards kind of finding our feet towards Christmas um, I never imagined we'd actually start the season as well as we have uh, picking up the points in, in the manner that we have um, is, is as I've said in the past a, a positive for me um, if, if we start playing more um, more conducive as, as a side going into Christmas so that's always better I mean the, the, the side now with no international football um, disrupting them up until the new year, we'll we'll have their longest period together as a unit, uh, playing the most games that they have together. So I think this is where you um you think or swim. Um, so if they're gonna if they're gonna start finding the feet, if they're gonna start stepping up, 
the period now where we've got 12 games in, in 38 days is, is the time in which they, they come together. Right. Well, I hope that's answered your question, Pablo. Um, I think it's been a it's been a marathon show this evening. Um, we did have more questions for our city guest, but it seemed to uh, we we got a bit waylaid. The content was thick and fast, um, so apologies if we haven't read out your questions. Please do keep them coming in. Um, we will try our best to read them out next week. Um, we will have another Mancunian on, so you know we'll uh, we'll, we'll get some of your questions to him. We'll, we'll make a point of getting some of your questions across to them. But notable shout out to uh, Inside17, Ben McAleer1, and Stuart Pattinson, who posted some decent questions to the City Blogger, and I hope we actually answered them over the course of our conversation. Um, You can, of course, listen to all the previous episodes of Royal the Roost on SpursStatman.com. .com, I don't know what the hell I was saying there, SpursStatman.com, um, as well as our iTunes site. Well, it's not really an iTunes site. I'm starting to sound a bit like my dad there. You can eBay us on Google. Um, <laughs> uh, we've got, a, as well, um, on SpursStatman.com, of course, you can be kept abreast of everything that's going on in the Spurs world in the form of our incredible article writing team headed by Raji Baines, who this week, well, last week, but, rumbling over into this week has written one i'm i i I hate to inflate your ego even more so than it's already bulbous raj but the 18 lessons avb the players and the fans need to learn is is a masterpiece i must say and if you haven't read it yet please read it raj doesn't write as much as he should in my opinion but uh when he does, it's always of a very good quality, and this is no exception to that. It's an absolutely fantastic article. Um, I think that's a quite a stuff I do online. There we go. Thank <laughs> you very much. And I, was, I, was, I was just um, I was recording that so that I could listen to it on like uh, select times. Well, just I'll, um, snap- I'll be sure to give my um. I was going to say Snapchat me the results. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll be sure to um, give my ghostwriters a pay rise. Um, you can of course follow the main Spurs Statman account at Spurs Statman where JP will be bringing you all the uh, statistical outpourings of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club you can follow the podcast feed which is getting a lot more mouthy nowadays at RTRSSM um, as Raj has put here for irregular inane bullshit and photos that's fairly apt uh, fairly apt description of the channel of course follow each of us um, I am at Ted Trunk and we've got at Baines X I I I um, for an occasionally amusing running commentary of our lives. Mine's just generally swearing and being provocative, um, whereas Raj's is about shit music and shit television. But uh, <laughs> I was just trying to There's nothing wrong with my taste in music and television. Yeah. Um, and of course, please feel free to send list of questions through. Throughout the week via Facebook, facebook.com slash Spurs Statman or to Twitter. But uh, yeah, sorry it's been so long this week. I'm not going to apologise. If you've made it this far, thank you very much. Your life is better for doing so. Have a good week. Come on, you Spurs.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.